0: My name is John. I'm one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills, and we are continuing our message series today uh, called Wreck the Roof. Um, It's a series where we've been talking about doing everything that we possibly can to share God's love with others, to share Jesus with others. That's what he calls us to do. Uh, it's based, of course, on the story of when the, the, some friends brought their friend who was paralyzed to Jesus, and they literally opened up a hole in the roof and dropped him down so that he could get to Jesus and be healed. And we should have that same kind of passion in our lives for sharing Jesus with others. Because, you know, I believe what, that Jesus is who he says he is. He says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. Meaning that if we don't have Jesus in our life as our Lord and our Savior, that spiritually that we are lost, that we're far off from God. I don't believe that Jesus is just one of many great ways to the Lord. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what Jesus himself claimed to be. And so I believe that it's important for us to share our faith with others, to be inviting others, uh, because it's really a matter of eternal life and eternal death. It's a very significant thing. Sometimes I think that we, uh, you, or sorry, my, I, my prayer for this series is that really twofold. First, that we would be encouraged, that we would see that God can use us and God can use our acts of obedience to help uh, really remove obstacles from people coming to know Jesus. Not that we can save anybody, but God can use us to help remove some of those obstacles. So I hope it encourages us. The second thing, though, I hope it makes us uncomfortable. And you might say, well, that's unkind. Why would you want me to be uncomfortable? Well, because I think sometimes we might get too comfortable where we're at and forget the fact that people need Jesus, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that he is the one who, is, who offers eternal life to us. And so we ought not to just be too cozy just saying, well, I'm good, and I'm not really going to worry about the rest of the world. That, that shouldn't work. If we believe that people are lost without Jesus, that should really uh, inspire a lot of passion in us to share Jesus with others. Let me give you an example. I want to introduce you to a boy named Ayub. Ayub lives in Africa. Um, The time of this picture, he's four years old, and Ayub uh, had a job along with his siblings, and that was to watch over the family's livestock. Very, very important job is this livestock is a key part of the way that they have enough food. Uh, They live in a fairly remote village uh, where there's not a lot of other people around, certainly no big city and lights and all of these kind of things. And they're surrounded uh, by uh, African wilderness, Um, the bush there where there's jackals and hyenas and all sorts of bad stuff out there that a four-year-old should not be wandering around by himself in. Well, one night they were getting ready to bring the animals in. And a storm came up. And just as it was getting dark, Ayub was working and trying to find all the animals and to get them all brought back in. The animals were scared and was trying to bring them in to safety. And in the midst of that storm and that darkness, a horrible thing happened. Ayub got lost. He couldn't find his way back to where his family lived. And so there he is in the dark in a storm, all by himself, scared and alone at four years old. He tried to find the place, but he just couldn't. His family realized that he was missing, and that next day they, they sent out the chief sent out a team of, of seventy different people from the village to go out and to hunt for the boy. And they looked for days. In fact, they got so desperate they they were able to uh, find a person locally um, in another tribe who had contact with a pilot. Uh, named Ruan, and Ruan had this small prop plane uh, that he could fly low, and he would fly around and search and try to help. Well, it had been, it was day number six of the search. Imagine that six days out in this bush by yourself as a little guy, and they hadn't been able to find him, Suddenly, Ruan, as he was flying, he looked down and he saw this boy out in the wilderness. Can you see him? <laughs> it's a little tiny thing in the middle of the screen there. This little four-year-old boy. That's the picture that he shot. He sees the boy and he's staggering because he's not healthy. He hasn't had enough food and nourishment. And the problem is that Ryun can't see around him. He cannot seem to find uh, the search party for they're nowheres nearby. And he didn't have a radio. They didn't have radios by which he could communicate. So all he could do was to circle. And he circled up there for half an hour. Poor Ayub was scared of the plane and he went and he hid in a bush because he was afraid that it was something bad. Well, finally, Rayun sees the—he uh, sees a member of the search party and he flies over and he opens the door of the plane and he flies low and he points to where the boy is. And the member of the search party goes over and finds him. Imagine this wonderful moment when they find him. The boy that is lost is now found. The one who had been wandering in such a dangerous place. I mean, I mean, think about it. It's a kid, he literally had no shoes, no food, and worst of all, no iPad. Can you imagine? Almost a week for a four-year-old without an iPad. He somehow managed to survive, right? It's amazing. But, he, but, but as they found him, they were so joyful. And in African tradition, they, they picked the boy up and they, they returned to the village. They walked a full 11 miles. That's how far he had traveled. Uh, carrying him on their shoulders, singing and dancing. And the, the people all got together and they threw a big party. And the family was so excited and thankful that they changed the boy's name to Ayub Rouen. In, in honor of the man, the man who had found him, the, the man who had flown the plane. I love that story because they would stop at nothing to find a lost boy. Nothing was going to hold them back because they knew that his life was in danger. That's pretty incredible. In my family, we, we really haven't, didn't have too much experience that I can remember of, of, of losing our kids, but I remember one time uh, we were at a Chuck E. Cheese, and one of our kids was actually about four at that time, and he got separated from us. We, however, are not like the Africans. Our response was different. We were having so much fun, we didn't even know he was missing, is the truth. We didn't know he was missing until Chuck E. Cheese brings a crying four-year-old up to us, and we felt very embarrassed and ashamed. There's a lot of difference between our response and the African's response, right? And for some of us, that contrast shows where we are at today. For some of us, there used to be a time when we first became Christians there used to be a time where we would do anything to introduce our friends to Jesus because we knew they were that they were lost without him. And and we so desperately wanted them to find this savior who had changed our life and then who could change their life. So we would stop at nothing to share our faith. But in time we got cozy. We got comfortable. More of our friends became church people and that's normal and okay, but we lost our our edge. We lost our passion for the world around us, and instead we got kind of comfortable and cozy. We don't look for opportunities as much. We become kind of like my family in the Chuck E. Cheese, just surrounded by our own entertainment, having a good time, not really too worried about what's going on. Forgive us, God. That's not who you call us to be. I pray today that, God, that you would even make us uncomfortable where we're at, if need be. I pray that you would give us a holy discomfort for anything but passion for you, that you'd give us a passion for you that motivates us to want to remove obstacles so that others can know you. Help us to be sensitive and attuned to your voice, God, for we love you so much, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I believe, as, a, as a, somebody from the Methodist tradition, as somebody who follows the teachings of John Wesley, I believe that God is always reaching out, drawing us to himself. I believe that we cannot come to know God unless he first draws us. We get this from John chapter 6, verse 44, which says this, for no one can come to me, Jesus says, unless the Father who sent me draws them. I believe that God is always drawing us to himself, that in his grace that he goes before us, that he draws me and you and everybody else out there to himself, inviting us into a relationship with him. I believe that that God is at work, that God is wrecking some roofs, if you will, so people like you and me and others can come to know faith in Jesus. And I know for some of us we believe this and we've been praying for the lost for a long time. Many of you you've been praying for your kids or your grandkids. You've been praying for your coworkers, you've been praying for other friends and family members. And honestly, you haven't seen a lot of results lately. And maybe you're getting discouraged. Maybe you feel maybe you feel ready to quit or to give up. You say, "Ah, it's it's not worth it. I must be doing something wrong. I must not be spiritual enough." Don't quit. Don't give up. Because I bet for the majority of us in this room that many people prayed for us long before we became followers of Jesus. And maybe at times in our life we got off track and we had become a follower of Jesus, but we got off track and many other people prayed for us that we would return to the faith. Maybe there are people praying right now for you. Maybe that's why you're here today. Friends, we must never stop in this work. We must never stop praying. We need to have the heart of our heavenly father. Remember the story of the the prodigal, right? The one who had ran off to the far country. He squandered his father's wealth. Finally, with nothing, he comes home desperate, ashamed, pathetic. But what does the father do? Does he ignore him? Does he shame him? No, he goes running to meet him. He puts away all of his pride and runs and he hugs him and loves him, and welcomes him back home. I pray that we would each have the same heart that our Father has for the lost, that when we see folks who don't know Jesus, that we would see them with that kind of love and compassion. It should never be judgment. It should never be condemnation. It should be love. It should be compassion. It should be kindness. That's what God calls us to do, and maybe you're here, and you're saying, well, you know, that's that's all fine and good but I leave that stuff to the professionals, right? I I'm, I'm not the Bible answer person. I, I don't I can't I can't really share faith. I, I don't know enough about all that stuff. Uh, that that's for somebody else to do, right? No. It's for all of us. There's there's no exemptions for any of us and and you don't have to know everything about the Bible. To share your testimony. And don't mishear me, I I really believe in the power of of knowing the Bible and being able to share that. That's important. But if all you know is your testimony, if all you know is what Jesus has done for you, that's a great place right there to begin. Remember the story of the man, John chapter 6. There's a man who is, um, or excuse me, John chapter 9, a man who is blind. And Jesus meets him on a Sabbath day. And Jesus, in, or Jesus heals him, and it creates this big theological problem for the religious leaders. For they considered that to be work, which would have been a sin, and yet the man is healed. So they, they bring the man in, and they, they challenge him, and they're questioning him. And the man is kind of frustrated because he doesn't know, he, he doesn't understand. And, and at the end, he just basically says, look, all I know is I was once blind, but now I see. When I got up this morning, I couldn't see. Then I met Jesus. Now I can see. He healed me. It may be the Sabbath. I don't know, but all I know is He healed me, and I'm different. It's really hard to argue with the power of a changed life. And for some of us, our lives have been changed, and we don't share it because we don't think it's good enough. Because we heard somebody else tell their story about how God saved them through like 10 of the worst things we've ever heard. And well, our story isn't really that great, so we're not going to share it. Nope, that <laughs> doesn't cut it. Your story has power too. Every changed life is a, is a testimony to the power of God. And your story may click with somebody in a ways that somebody else's story wouldn't click. Never underestimate the power of your story. Also, you may be one of a a series of people that God is using to draw other people to himself. I don't know about you, but for most people, it takes more than one time of hearing the gospel before they become a follower of Jesus. We often hear it from this person, this person, this person, this person, before we finally say yes. Maybe you're going to be one of those people in the line of many other people who God uses. If so, praise God. That's fine. If you share with others, if you invite others, whatnot, and they say no, that's okay. They're a person of free will. They can do that. And maybe God is using you to help draw them closer. You don't have to give up or quit. But understand, you're not failing. You're not a failure. Jesus nudges you. The Holy Spirit nudges you. Just say yes in obedience and see what God does. Also, remember that when Jesus was here on earth people literally walked away from Him. I mean, this is the Son of God right here, the guy doing all the miracles, all this stuff. And there were literally people that heard God Himself teaching and walked away. So guess what? They're going to say no to us sometimes too. If they say no to Jesus, they can say no to us. Again, that is their right. God gives them free will. We don't give up on them, but we understand that's going to happen. Sometimes people may not agree with your beliefs. Again, this is okay. People believe all sorts of crazy things out there. Just because somebody doesn't agree with you doesn't mean that you're wrong. I read that 8% of Americans believe that unicorns are real. 8%. That's one out of every 13, right? You look around, you find 13 people. One of you statistically believes that unicorns are real. Not me. I Don't look at me. I'm not one of them, right? I don't have time to believe in unicorns. I'm way too busy looking for Bigfoot. Don't have time for unicorns. It's nonsense. Everybody knows that, right? But seriously, we're called to be a people who share our faith. Sometimes folks say, no, that's okay. We just keep on sharing it. God calls us to do that. I want to tell you a story this morning of a man whose name is Philip. Philip is a member of the early church. This is not the Philip who was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. No, this is Philip... Um, from the book of Acts, chapter 6, he was earlier in Acts than what I'm reading. Uh, Philip is assigned to be, uh, pr- to be one of the people who oversees the distribution of food to the, those who are in need, uh, the widows, uh, the, those who are poor. So he's kind of like one of the guys who operates the original Christian food pantry. He's got a really important job, but today God's going to call him, to something even different, and Philip is going to be faithful. Philip is a guy that when God calls, he says yes. So Philip is an awesome example for all of us. Acts eight twenty six. As for Philip, an angel of the Lord said to him, "'Go south to the, to, down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza.'" Okay, so Philip is called by an angel. Now that's not normal. (laughs) You might say, well sure, if an angel appeared to me, I'd go too. Well, if the Holy Spirit nudges you, you'd ought to say yes, because if you're looking for an order of ranking, the Holy Spirit outranks angels, okay? Holy Spirit, God, angels, not God, okay? So, So an angel appears to Philip here and says to him, you go to this road, this desert road. Sound exciting? Nope, (laughs) it's a desert road. Why why do I need to go a desert road? I'm serving here in the food pantry. I'm busy, I'm I'm working for the Lord. Why, Why would I need to do that? That's not how Philip sees it. See, sometimes when, maybe even today for you, you may be in an area that feels like a desert in your life right now. Maybe you're dreaming of greater things and you're not there yet. Maybe you're in school and you're just waiting to be out there doing what you're called to do, and you're like, ah, I just I can't do anything yet because I haven't graduated. Or, or maybe for you, you're waiting for the right relationship to come along. Or or maybe for you, you are at a different end of things and you say, oh, I'm, I, I don't have the physical strength I once did. All I can do is kind of maybe write some cards or make some calls and encourage people or, or maybe you, for you, you're stuck in a job that just feels like this nine-to-five, uh, just boring thing. Like, what? I, I'm not going anywhere. Or maybe you, uh, you stay at home with the kids, right? And You're like, man, my life is just like diapers and tantrums and all this, and I, uh, I, I, can't, I can't serve the Lord. Friend, you may feel like you're in a desert, but if God's got you in a desert, it's exactly where you need to be. Don't look down on that. For we're going to see that God's going to do great work in a desert through Philip today. And God may have you exactly where he needs to be, where you need to be. You may, you know, those kids that you're raising, you're impacting the next generation for Jesus. I don't know what's more important than that. There's nothing. Or that job you're in, maybe God's got you there for some reasons. Maybe there's some coworkers there there that, that you can share Jesus' love with, that you can invite, that you can share your testimony with. Whatever it is for you, maybe those cards or those notes or those calls you're making, they're making a bigger impact than what you realize. Never underestimate what God can do in a season of desert. Verse 27, so Philip started out, he met the treasurer of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under the Kondake, the queen of Ethiopia. Okay, so this is a man... Um, who's an important man, a significant one? He's literally over the, the uh, treasury there. He's the or he's the treasurer of Ethiopia. He's in charge of the money. Uh, he's a far away from home. He's a high ranking official, and and whether he's high ranking or not doesn't mean that it's any more important to share with him, but it means that he's somebody that Philip could have easily said, ah, that's not a guy I can share with, okay. I'm not. I, I run a food pantry. I'm a normal guy. That's, that, that's a guy from a foreign country. He's obviously a dignitary, something like that. I, Yeah. Uh, th- th- this is not for me. But you know, you should never underestimate what God can do through faithful service. And you never has, should under- underestimate what God can do through you. When, when I look back at the people who have impacted my life, who have helped me grow closer to Jesus, very few of them would have thought they were doing anything significant. Most of them were doing very normal things. And I'm always humbled by the, by the faithfulness of people at this church doing very normal things week in and week out. I look back at the folks running our sound booth today so that we can, we can uh, have the service here and online You know, know, I'm so thankful for them and and their willingness to serve. I'm thankful for Danny, week in and week out, playing the organ here and leading us. I'm thankful for a a great choir and bell choir today who came out in the midst of the cold to lead us in worship. Don, I'm thankful for you. First time being a liturgist. That's awesome. That's courageous. We have awesome liturgists, awesome acolyte right here. I'm so thankful. Uh, You know, I mean, it's and these are just the obvious roles, right? I'm thankful for the ones who come in and clean this building faithfully, week in and week out. We use it a lot, and we mess it up a lot. It'll be a mess after this morning, and they'll be in here cleaning it up faithfully. I'm thankful for you in whatever way God uses you. Never underestimate the power of what God can do. This is what Philip does. He goes out, and he sees this guy, and Uh, Verse 27 says, the eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So he traveled from Africa up to Jerusalem. That's significant, to worship. And now he's returning. Seated in his carriage, he was reading aloud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. So a few things with this guy. He's a high-ranking official. Also, he's somebody um, who uh, certainly was a person of wealth. He had a scroll, which normal people did not have access to this. He could read. The majority of the population was illiterate at this time, and he was riding in a carriage. That's like the Rolls Royce of that day, okay? Like, most people don't have a horse. This guy not only has a horse, he's got a carriage and somebody to drive him around, right? Not a normal guy. Philip could have seen this and said, nope, I can't do it, but here's what happens in verse 29. The Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and walk alongside the carriage, Philip ran over, and he heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah. And here's a couple key things. When God nudges, Philip obeys. He had had gone on the desert road, and now he feels this nudge from the Spirit. Just go over by the carriage. And now he's going to see the door open. And when God opens a door, we need to go through it and act. Philip asked, do you understand what you're reading? The man replied, how can I? Unless someone instructs me. And he urged Philip to come up into the carriage and sit with him. And that's what Philip does. He simply obeys. And now Philip, he's gone from being at the food pantry, he's gone into the desert, now seeing the guy, now up in the carriage. And he's going to lead a Bible study about Jesus here in just a minute. Okay? God is opening doors. When we say yes to God's nudges, God opens doors. If there's somebody that God's been laying on your heart, maybe to ask, you ask them out to uh, go have a cup of coffee and you share with them about Jesus. You share how God's changed your life. Just do it and see what happens. Or maybe there's somebody you know you've been called to invite to worship and you've been putting it off. You haven't been doing it. You're like, well, I should invite him for Christmas. I'll invite them next Christmas. Nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to just invite them, right? Or invite them to your life group, whatever it is. Because if God's nudging you, listen. Trust Him. Maybe God is at work in this person's heart and you don't even know it. Maybe God wants to use you. Oftentimes, we feel these nudges and then Satan steps in with a very subtle but powerful lie. He says, don't worry about that. Just do it tomorrow. It'll be fine. God's not calling you today, he's calling you tomorrow. And he keeps on repeating that. And we don't feel like we're saying no to the Lord, we're just saying no, maybe, maybe later, maybe later, maybe later. And what happens in time is that becomes habitual. And we get better and better at plugging our ears to the voice of God. And you'll get to the point where you don't hear those nudges as much anymore. Maybe for some of us, that's where we are right now. And God, would you open our ears once again? Give us ears to hear your voice. Give us eyes to see your work. Give us courage to say yes when you call us. I pray against any shame or any guilt that's being felt right now, God. I just pray for freedom and courage to follow you. I pray that you would help us to follow you just like what Philip did. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you do that. Amen. So Philip responds. The guy, is, the guy has been reading Scripture, verse 32. It says the passage of Scripture he'd been reading was this. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And this seems to be a tragic story, right? A a, a man who gives his life, who has no descendants, receives no justice. And the eunuch says to Philip, tell me, is the prophet talking about himself or somebody else? (laughs) Here's the opportunity. It's not about Isaiah. It's about a man named Jesus. Let me tell you about him. In fact, funny you bring him up, this prophecy was fulfilled not too long ago. He came and he gave his life because me, Philip, I was a sinner and I, I did lots of dumb stuff. But Jesus came and he died the death that I should have died because my sins separate me from God like your sins separate you from God. And this Jesus, here's the great news, he did it for you too. And what I'm experiencing, you can experience You can give your life to him. You're you're so close. I know you're seeking the Lord, and you're wanting to know him, and I sense that he's been talking to you and been opening doors. Won't you give your life to him today? Verse 34, beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? Best question ever, right? So they ca- he ordered the carriage to stop. They went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. The eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Meanwhile, Philip found himself further north at the town of Azotus. He preached the good news there and in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Why did God snatch up Philip? I'm not sure. I baptized a lot of people. I've never had that happen before, right? Maybe it was to show the eunuch that it's not about Philip. It's about Jesus. Maybe that's why. Maybe it was because he had obvious business for Philip to be doing and time to keep on moving, Philip. We're not done. That's great. You shared the story. Now go on and do it with some other people. I don't know, but what I love is that when God speaks, Philip says yes. He's a man of obedience and courage, and that's who we should be too. We should be people of obedience and courage because you never know. You never know how God is going to move. You never know. When you feel that nudge from the Spirit, you don't know what God's been doing in that person's life. You don't know how many other people have been sharing. Or you don't know what God's trying to set up and he's going to use you to be the set up person for. You don't know. So why not say yes to Jesus? There's many people in our church that do this really well. I want to share with you a story of one of them, Sue Black. Um, she, When she hears the Lord leading, she says yes so many times. And, and I want you, as you listen to this story, listen for her faithfulness, but also listen for just the simplicity of what she does.
1: So when Ben Williams came and spoke at this church about evangelism, which... Um, Made me, makes me very nervous to think about evangelism. One of the assignments after the two days of classes was to go to the mall, go into stores and pray for people. So I prayed for a young woman um, and um, she later said to me after we prayed, she got rather emotional and she said, uh, my mom just died a few days ago or a few weeks ago. And so that was really impactful for her. And I think that affirmed um, my faith. Then I started realizing that I had the ability to do more than um, just sitting on the sidelines and and watching. Out of um, that, I have felt, I think, lots of Holy Spirit nudges. And one recently, I went to do what everyone loves to do during the month of December and that was spend a day at um, the Bureau of Motor Vehicles. And um, so I'm in the BMV and I'm waiting my turn, I'm sitting against the wall and there's um, a woman, I heard bits and pieces of her story where um, she was moving her mom from Virginia to Cincinnati and she was trying to figure out what steps she needed to take. And so um, she left and um, I took care of getting my license renewed and so I went out in the parking lot, got into my car and I look over to the side and that woman is in the car next to me, like right next to me. And um, I got a little Holy Spirit nudge. I kept thinking to myself, I could just go go over there. And, and But then I thought, that's creepy. I don't wanna just make a motion like to some stranger to roll down your window, I wanna talk to you. And finally I just thought, get out of the car and go out there. So I did, so I went around the front of her car and um, looked into the window and thought, "Oh, this is a big mistake, this is stupid, why am I doing this? But she rolled down her window when she was done. I told her about all the things that uh, I was thinking about when she was at the counter, you know, my parents moving and what a challenge it was. We just started talking more and then we were hugging and we prayed together. She sent me a text that evening that said, Sue, it was such a blessing um, to meet you. I'm really glad that you listened to the Lord's nudge I didn't know the Lord would use me in this way. I don't see myself as an evangelist, and yet, that's kind of a—it's kind of a simple evangelism. Um, and so, I think He can use all of us in a similar way. We just have to look around and seek those opportunities, be in tune to hearing what God wants us to do in a situation, and how we can love the people around us. Vic and I actually went out with the Putmans a couple months ago, and. When our server came back to bring us the food, we said, um, "Hey, I said, can we pray for you?" She started weeping and she said, "I was just journaling this morning that I wanted to be closer to God," and she actually stood there and prayed with us. We said, "We'll make this really quick. Can we pray with you right now?" And we did. And that was that was pretty amazing. That gives me goosebumps right now to think about that. Um, as jonathan said in his sermon last week there's so many people out there lying on mats that need for us to bring them to jesus and i am praying that you and i both will seek to be together in this ministry of availability loving people serving people caring for people and bringing them into the kingdom of god
0: amen amen i love that for a bunch of reasons she says yes when God's God God guides second it's reasonable stuff we can all do offer to pray for somebody and I was texting with Sue about this video and she said one thing I forgot to say is that when I pray it's just simple words I don't have a lot of big fancy words i just talk to God like I would talk to another person on on this person's behalf just try to be normal we can do that friends we can pray for somebody, or we could share our story, or we could be sensitive to the Spirit's nudge like she was there at the BMV. The, the, the Holy Spirit, when you say yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. So when you do this, when the Spirit nudges and you say yes, you're not operating on your own power. You're operating on God's power. We can and we must do this. God can use us, and he will use us in incredibly powerful ways. Thanks, God, that you choose even us. Thanks, God, that you use normal people like us to share your word, your love, your grace, your compassion, your kindness with others. God, I pray that we would be a people, that we would be a church who would do this faithfully, that we would be courageous in sharing, courageous in inviting, because we believe that you are who you say you are. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, we trust in you, we love you, and we just want to follow in obedience to you. God, we love you so much, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.